630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. He blitzes right past Marshawn to the net. Dishes one timer score. Leon Dreisaitl. What a play by McDavid. Dreisaitl's got it back. 10 seconds to play. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. 630 Chad. Well, 24 hours away from the National Hockey League draft here in Vancouver. We'll have coverage for you on 6.30, Chet, tomorrow starting at 4 o'clock. Reed Wilkins along with Bob Stoffer and Jack Michaels. We will be at Rogers Arena. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. We will have all the latest from some of the key people with the Edmonton Oilers as we move along tonight. The new associate coach is Jim Playfair. You'll also hear from head coach Dave Tippett and general manager Ken Holland, who who discusses a little bit more on the Yessi Puliyarvi situation, talks about Milan Lucic, rumors, would he be willing to trade that number eight pick? And what about all these really good American players who are expected to go in the first round or into the uh, early part of the second round tomorrow? We'll have comments from all of them coming up as we move along tonight. We will also get you ready for the return of Riley. 13 is back in Edmonton wearing orange this time. Oilers or Eskimos and Lions tomorrow night. Brickfield at Commonwealth Stadium. 7 o'clock. We'll have the live play for play-by-play for you. Morley Scott and Dave Campbell. Morley's going to join me a little bit later on. And you will also hear from Mike Riley. CFL action tonight. Last minute of the first quarter. Ottawa leading Saskatchewan 9-7. Ottawa just scored a touchdown. They got a two-point conversion, and the kickoff goes into the end zone. The Riders decide not to return it and concede a single point. So 9-7, Ottawa leading Saskatchewan. We'll keep you updated on that one tonight. You can reach out by calling 780-496-0063. You can also text 630-630. Kellen Kennedy back at the 630 Chet Broadcasting Compound tonight. Kellen, old boy, rainy all day there, or what's going on? Yeah, it was raining this morning, but now it's just kind of more gray and overcast. So I think uh, for the most part, the precipitation for today might be done. But, uh, you know, it's that time of year, I guess. Hopefully dry for the uh, Eskimos game coming up on Friday night. We'd like to see a big crowd at Commonwealth Stadium with Riley back. Eskimos coming in at 1-0, and uh, the Lions, after losing a home game to Winnipeg, they are 0-1. Okay, well, we are uh, at the uh, center of the NHL universe, at least for the next few days here in Vancouver for the NHL draft. And the Edmonton Oilers, as has been expected for a while, have decided to hire Jim Playfair as an associate coach. Uh, history with the Calgary Flames and the American Hockey League and uh, six seasons on Dave Tippett's staff with the Coyotes from 2011 to 2017. He'd been out of coaching for the last couple of years and he certainly missed it. Yeah, absolutely. I think that uh, being out of the game uh, gives you a great deal of respect and, and uh, you're very grateful for the opportunity when it comes along again. It's uh, obviously the top league in the world and there's only so many positions and uh, I think the uh, the view from, from time away really gives you a um, well, it humbles you actually. It gives you an opportunity to look at games in a different manner. You're not scouting them to, to try and be prepared to be 
beat them, you're learning and watching and seeing the changes in the game and, and uh, reaching out to my friends in the game and staying in contact with them um, was, was a, a different way of watching it, but um, it's exciting time to get back to work. All right, so Playfair joining the Oilers. We'll, we'll break down more of his uh, specific responsibilities as we uh, move along here, but Dave Tippett, long history with Playfair, though he did say it wasn't an automatic hire, but he likes having the familiarity. Well, I know Jim very well, and uh, the things that attracted me to him, A, that I, I do know him so well. I think uh, the start of our season is very important. I wanted somebody that uh, I'd worked with before there and, and really have a trust with. Uh, Trent Yanni was a good coach, but I just I'd never worked with him before. So Jim comes in. He's a great teacher. He's had a great uh, rapport with the defenseman that uh, I've been with. You go back right to Calgary when I hired him in Arizona. You look what he did with Giordano and Brody, and then I saw what he did with Ekman Larson in, in uh, Arizona. So very good teacher, real smart guy, and real, real strong kind of a teammate for a coaching staff that I'm looking for a very cohesive staff so he was a natural pick for me. Okay, and Tippett speaking in there about Playfair working with the defense. He mentioned Giordano, Brody, Ekman, Larson, all pretty good players in the National Hockey League, especially uh, Giordano, who just won the uh, Norris Trophy, and Ekman, Larson. Um, I, you know, do the Oilers have somebody with that much raw talent? I don't know about that, but you know, they have some some good defensemen who are hoping to be very good or great. If you look at Nurse or Clefbaum, we'll see if he can help push them along. Um, obviously, that is one area roster-wise that the Oilers need to shore up, and we'll see if GM Ken Holland can do that as we move along. You'll hear from Holland as we move along on the show tonight. I, I do Before we get a little bit into the defense a little bit more, I, I, I got to get this story in. Uh, because this is a nice uh, little piece of flavor here from from Jim Playfair. So he's out of the NHL for the last couple of years. So he spent some time, uh, you know, he's got uh, three kids, visiting his kids, being involved in their lives, and uh, watching a lot of hockey, as he mentioned. But he also took up a a bit of a hobby, thanks to Dave Tippett. And well, you know what? Here he, he explained it this afternoon. Well, I'll tell you what happened was when I first got to Arizona, uh, uh, my wife and I, Roxanne, went over to Dave Tippett's house for supper, and him and Wendy had us over, and we were walking on the garage, and he's got two Hardys outside, and I'm like, or two bikes, rather, two choppers out in his garage. I'm like, what's the story on these? Because well, I built one during each lockout type of thing. So I'm like, oh, okay. So Arizona, you see bikes all over the place, good thing to do. So I kept thinking to myself and talking about one day I should buy a bike. So then it was November. Of you know, last year, and I wasn't much going on. I had a friend, John Rowe, come down from British Columbia, and he was in for the week on his bike to go riding. So he says, ah, let's go look at some bikes. We went and looked at one, and I bought it. And after I bought it, I said, I could someone drive it home because I don't have my license. And so I went and got my biking license, and I practiced for a couple of weeks. And I took my wife for a ride one afternoon, and she loved it. So we, you know, put about 10,000 miles in the stupid thing driving all over Arizona. So it's, it's, a, it's awesome because you got to pay attention to what you're doing because no one else is paying attention to you. So just to get out and the freedom to ride and to forget a lot of stuff is uh, is very therapeutic. And, uh, yeah, I'll have one for the rest of my life. Well, I don't know how much he'll be using it in Edmonton in the winter, given the weather and his coaching responsibilities. But there's a, a little bit about Chip Playfair. And about a year and a half ago, thanks to Dave Tippett, and I didn't know that about Tippett. He built a couple of choppers during the, the two lockouts. 
So Playfair gets a motorbike and puts 10,000 miles on it with his wife driving around Arizona over the past 18 months. But a pretty interesting story, and he said he found it very therapeutic. So uh, good. You need to relax. All right. So uh, how relaxed will he be being on the Edmonton Oilers coaching staff? Well, it's going to be a tough challenge. And one of the many things the Oilers need to work on is moving the puck out of their own end, getting defensemen involved offensively. Uh, I mean, they had Darnell Nurse with a pretty good offensive year. Clefbaum battled injuries. He's he's shown that he can contribute offensively. Other than that, it's been tough in terms of moving the puck and getting a lot of points from the D. When Tippett was hired, he said you cannot win in the NHL with just a forward line attacking. You need a four-man attack, even a five-man attack. Everybody has to be getting involved. Do the Oilers have the personnel to do that? Well, probably not. If you look at the D core as a whole, as I mentioned, a couple of players can do it. I don't think that's a strength, though, if you look at all 6D who do dress in any given game. But can coaching help? I asked Playfair about getting D more involved in the attack. Yeah, I think that the game has evolved to the point where where it is a five-man attack. And I think that when you talk at this time of year, that's a real emphasized point is how do we get our defense up and rush and joining. And then you, as the season wears on, by the time you get to the Stanley Cup playoffs, let's make sure we all can defend well and defend strong. And, and as you get into the Stanley Cup playoffs and teams in the very, you know, in the very end, uh, the players talk about the ability to win one nothing. The to defend and, and play strong in their own zone and lock games down. So I think that we all want the defensemen in the you know the group to attack offensively, but the responsibility and accountability to play without the puck and defend and, and the details away from the puck will be established, you know, in, in September. And I think it's not a, a mindset of saying they can't do something offensively. It's just the accountability and the responsibility and the belief that play without the puck is, is an important part of winning. I find it interesting that Playfair mentioned having the confidence to win a game one nothing. And Todd McClellan said that while he was the coach of the Oilers. That in the coaches' room one day they had the discussion, could we win a game one nothing right now? And they kind of felt like, no, they couldn't. And, and I'm sure if you watch the Oilers the last couple of years, could they win a game one nothing? Yeah, they did a couple of times. They did a couple of times, but but generally you wouldn't feel like that's the type of game that they could be successful in, that they could either, you know, get a lead and, and lock it down and, and win without extending it, or that they could, you know, stay in a tight game and, and keep it scoreless and maybe win it in the final 10 minutes or in overtime. That's not the type of team they have had. Now, it's not just on the defense, like, not just on the defense men, it's on how they defend as a whole, and it's also on the goaltending, which is another issue we're going we're gonna to get into here as you hear more from Playfair. But I, that that's a really interesting way to put it. And and I guess if if you look at a hockey team that you follow or you cheer for and you say to yourself, they can't win a game one nothing. That's just not not a game they can survive, then you probably don't have a very good team. Maybe you got a mediocre team at best, but you probably don't have a very good team. Um everybody likes exciting hockey, everybody likes goals. The bottom line is as the season moves along, the checking gets tighter. The intensity increases, and a lot of times the goal scoring goes down. So can you win one nothing? Can you win 2-1? Can you be the team that doesn't make a mistake? I mean, even if you can't score, can you not make a mistake and stay in it that way? And the Oilers haven't been that type of team. Playfair is going to work on that mindset. I think it's going to take a lot more than that. I think it I, – look – the, the biggest the, the the biggest issues here for the Oilers have to be repaired by Ken Holland. 
I think coaching, sure, can make a difference. Uh, I, don't, I didn't think the Oilers were poorly coached last year. Yeah, you know, when you, have a, when you don't have a good record, you can always say, well, this and this. Why do you do this? Why would you shuffle this line? Why would you check this way? Why would you start this goalie? It, absolutely. But I, I don't think that the Oilers were, uh, you know, should have been a 47-team win, and they won 10 games fewer than that because the coach cost them games. I don't think that at all. I, I just think it was mostly related to the quality of the roster. But coaches can have an effect, so Playfair telling you a little bit there about how he's going to do it. He will also be primarily responsible for the penalty kill, huge area of weakness for the Oilers over the last couple of seasons. We'll get to some comments on that. More from Ken Holland coming up. I am live in Vancouver, NHL draft tomorrow. This is Inside Sports on 630 Jet. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. All right, appreciate you tuning in tonight. Three minutes into the second quarter, Ottawa leading Saskatchewan 17-10. Eskimos and Lions on 630 Ched tomorrow night. Our coverage will start at 7. You'll hear from Lions quarterback Mike Riley as we move along tonight. Reed Wilkins in Vancouver at our sister station CKNW as I get you set for the NHL draft tomorrow. And of course, uh, uh, we're going to have Riley on, as I mentioned, Kellen Morley. And I, I got that interview about the dogs. How excited oh, you did. are you for that? That's five barks out of five right there, buddy. <laughs> We're gonna. No, these aren't the soup. What are they? The they're the fusion talent extreme dogs. Extreme dogs. They're, they're not super. They're extreme. Extreme. Yeah, they're extreme. I think they. I think the dogs drive monster trucks. I think they're monster truck driving dogs. I'm gonna have to ask them that. Uh, you can call me at seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. You can text six thirty six thirty. Kellen's helping me out with the text line because, quite frankly, I don't know how to log into it from Vancouver. Right, Kellen. <laughs> what uh, anything you want to get out there, buddy? Okay. Well, the big L texts in tonight and says, "Reed, obviously his own trade uh, trade value is real relatively low, but maybe this Pulleyarvi situation might just be what is needed to sweeten the pot on some kind of trade for a potent." Where or maybe a Lucic move? Holland has yeah, likely thought about one. this. I, oh, sorry, I cut you off. Kevin, yeah, the, you the last just... line is just Holland has likely thought about this. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. And as as you've heard from the clips, we had Holland's clip with uh, with Bob yesterday, and he said it again today. He's not in a rush, and he said today, and we'll get a little more detail into Holland's comments in the next half hour of the show. But Holland is not being pressured here. He's he's totally waiting, and. I, I got the sense from some of the feedback from listeners yesterday that even if they are blaming the Oilers' previous regime on Pugliarvi's lack of development, that they're fine with how Holland is handling it. And I mean, again, why why light your hair on fire to, to, to try to trade a guy? This is just a very uh, unfortunate situation. It's a it's to me, it's a bit of a strange situation that even with the new coach and general manager, that. Pugliarvi and the agents still want out. It, it make me. It makes me wonder if there's there's something else going on with with Pugliarvi that I don't know. Maybe he doesn't like living in Edmonton. I'm just I'm just speculating here. Maybe he doesn't like living in Edmonton. Uh, you know, maybe it hasn't gone well with uh, with his teammates or some teammates. It just doesn't feel right for him. I mean, something else is happening to me. And this is just my woman's intuition working here. This is something else is happening besides just, okay, you didn't get a lot of playing time. Because you know, there were two coaches that handled them that way. 
Um, so maybe you'd be optimistic. Uh, it's, a, it's a fresh page with a new one. But clearly they don't think that. Clearly they think, no, you, he cannot be an oiler because the, the agent said he's not playing in Edmonton. He, go, he goes to Europe or he goes to another team in the NHL. He doesn't play in Edmonton. He was absolutely adamant about that. Anyway, Kellen, what else do you have at 6.30, 6.30? Well, Southside Rob just texted in with a quick story, said that he was at the amateur draft in 1990, which was also held in Vancouver at the old Pacific Coliseum. Uh, Barry Frazier was the head of uh, amateur scouting at the time. The Oilers had just won their fifth Stanley Cup in seven years on May 30th, and out of 12 picks that year, not one of their picks played one game in the NHL. That, yeah, I think that's kind of when it started going south with the draft. Now, Southside Rob, I believe, played a high level of hockey. He should have been picked. Uh, maybe he was up and just wasn't picked. <laughs> He'll tell us. Southside Rob, I believe he's a gentleman that played for the UFC and has a bit of a grudge against the U of A Golden Bears. Ah, gotcha. Seven eight zero four nine. Rob will remind me. Seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three. We have Elvis standing by. Elvis, happy almost first day of summer. What's going on? Well, just listening to the show, enjoying it as usual, Reed, and I'm looking forward to your guys' coverage tomorrow night, and I'm kind of interested. I don't know how much of this Pooley-Arvey thing by his agent could be smoke. Um, I don't know if, if they're just trying to play their cards so that they get a better contract or dangle things if, if they decide to move that way. If he does decide to go play in Europe, I think that'd be the best thing for the Oilers. Because like you've mentioned during the whole show, I've been listening, uh, that his trade value has gone right down the toilet. And by him jumping out there and asking for a trade, he's even made it worse. Kind of reminds me of Jonathan Drouin uh, before he ended up with the Habs. And the biggest thing that I see here, Reed, is that I wouldn't be surprised. You guys have commented on it. Like, maybe they try to, to move to a better spot in the draft by offering him up. Maybe they, maybe they, maybe he's the final piece in a package for uh, maybe maybe a bigger deal that we don't know about because we know they've got to clear some cap space. But I'm very disappointed in Pooley Arvey's uh, agent, even though I know he's just trying to do the best for him. But uh, this, this 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 he is not going to go somewhere else. And automatically walk into someone's uh, top two lines. Or no, top six. there's no way that. No, happening. he hasn't. He hasn't proven that. Here, here's here's my thing about the Oilers moving up, Elvis. And here's why I think it won't happen. First of all, and, I, and I'll, I'll leave you on the line here because I'm sure you obviously have thoughts on it. I think if the Oilers move up, okay. First of all, you're not moving up into the top two. Those two players are going to go to the Devils and the Rangers. So if you're going to move up. The only, in my mind, the only player you would move up for is Bowen Byram because he's a dynamic defenseman. You can get pretty good forwards between three and thirteen, say, if you're looking at Doc Cousins, Zegras, Krebs, Boldy, Caulfield, you know whatever you know you know the list of guys. So if you're moving up to get Byram at three or four, I would think you know whether you wind up trading with Chicago or L.A. or, or whoever. I would think they are going to ask for one of Nugent Hopkins, Nurse, or Clefbaum. And then that leaves another pretty big hole on the roster if you trade one of those guys. That's why I don't think they're going to move up. Yeah. 
No, I I, I agree 100. percent It just it just seems like there's just something like the stars are aligning or something's going on. I'm expecting if if nothing happens tomorrow, Reed, I'm very cool with that. But if something does happen, I, I like I'm, I kind of anticipate something, and I don't know. But I'm going to be listening to you, Jack, and Bob tomorrow, and I'm looking forward to the draft, my friend. All right, we appreciate that, Elvis. Always nice to hear from you. Ottawa adds another touchdown five and a half minutes into the second quarter. They are all over the Rough Riders, up 25-10. More from Tippett and Playfair. Holland will tell you about uh, his philosophy of possibly trading tomorrow. And in the second hour of the show, Morley Scott with Mike Riley. All ahead, Inside Sports on 630 Chet. is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. Quite a shootout brewing in Ottawa. Still six and a half minutes left in the second quarter. The Red Blacks leading the Rough Riders 25-17. While we're in the commercial break, William Powell, the former Red Black running back, gets a touchdown for Saskatchewan to pull them within eight. We will keep you updated on that one. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. I am live at the CKNW studios in Vancouver. 21st floor of, uh, what's it called here, Kellen? I think it's the Pacific Center. I just know this this afternoon. The cabbie dropped me off at the wrong building. Uh-oh. And I was quite confused. So I was here earlier today with Stoffer. I did a little bit on Oilers now with him. Right. And, you know, it's fairly, uh, this draft is pretty convenient. Everything's pretty condensed. The hotel is, the hotel is virtually attached to BC Place. And then Rogers Arena is just on the other side of it. So it's really quick to the arena. CKNW is, I mean, I could have walked. It would have been a bit of a hike, right? And I had some, some gear with me. So I decided to take a cab. Um, so I get, I, I get the cab and I'm like, okay, here's my address. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll take you here. And he pulls up to a building and I'm thinking, this is not the building I was at with Bob this afternoon, but this guy is, is a cabbie in Vancouver. So I'm thinking he should know where he's taking me. Is that, was, like, is that a crazy assumption? No. Is that, it's like if, if you said you wanted to go to Jasper and 108th Street in Edmonton and didn't really know Edmonton, you would assume the cabbie's going to know where Jasper and 108th is, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, so I get out of this building. I'm like, this is not the, this is not the building. But I'm like, well, it must be connected. And so I go into this other other building, and I'm looking around, and he he had dropped me off uh, like on the wrong block. So like I was about a block away. So I got I got here fine. But I do have another just a brief anecdote here. People are gonna love this one. So <laughs> this is okay, Kellen. I look. I say things that are you know silly sometimes or that embarrass myself. This is really embarrassing. But I've already started telling it, so I'm going to tell it. Are you okay. ready? This <laughs> is like this is this is really stupid. Fair enough. So yesterday last night I'm at the airport to fly out here. So I'm going through security and I have a carry-on bag and my my other bag. Yeah, I have I have I have kind of this uh carry-on bag that I use also as my briefcase because I can keep all my, you know, my books in there and my, uh, all my cords and the stuff for my laptop and my laptop, and then I can travel with it. So it's convenient. So I go through the scanner and I get my, my shoulder bag back and my, this other bag that has my clothes and my laptop in it is, is nowhere to be found. 
and I'm kind of looking around, and it, it had gone through the scanner before the the shoulder bag. So I'm thinking, where where is it? What what has happened? Have they have they taken it? Has it gotten? Did somebody else take it by accident? Because there was a line of people. And then I see it back in the in the security area with one of the one of the, the, the what not guards whatever they're called the security personnel, and it's this young woman and she's kind of holding the bag up and then pointing at it. And she goes, "Whose bag is this?" And I was I said, "Well, that's mine." And she said, "You have to come over here." So I go I go around the back to this area where you can stand. And I'm thinking, all right, this is probably some random search or, you know, whatever. I'm not, I'm not that concerned. <laughs> so, so she says to me, you can't take knives on the plane. <laughs> to which I said, yeah, I, I know. I, I'm not. And she goes, well, we're going to take the knives out of your bag and, and then you can proceed. And I was like, what? I, I was like, I'm not carrying any knives. What are you talking about? And she's like, well, I'm going to open this pocket, okay? And I was like, okay. So she, she, so this, there's this little front section of the bag, right, where you can put stuff, smaller stuff. And she reaches way, way, way down at the bottom. So it, it had been pushed sort of back, so it was almost curled around underneath the rest of the bag. And she pulls out these two large, like basically the size of, you know, large Ziploc bags, Kellen. Mm-hmm. And in each one, there's a knife and a fork. Now, a, a butter knife, but nonetheless a knife. And they're all, like, stained and probably moldy. So what had happened was at some point in the last year, I had taken cutlery to work to eat my lunch and it obviously stuffed the dirty cutlery back in my bag and then had gone home and neglected to take it out and clean it. And, cl- and obviously, I had not done this once, but twice. <laughs> so I got caught trying to take knives onto a plane. That's not good. That's a strike against me, Kellen. <laughs> But anyway, I made it, and I kind of laughed and quickly explained that. And they, they, one of the one of the security personnel was just kind of like, "Get out of here." The other one, the other one, kind of made a little little joke about it after. So anyway, we're all good. Ottawa adds a field goal, twenty eight seventeen, four ten left in the second quarter. The Red Blacks lead the Rough Riders. All right. So the Oilers news today: Jim Playfair is hired as an associate coach. Head coach Dave Tippett on how the coaching assignments will break down. Coaches have their roles on it, but I touch on all those, and I, I tend to be very collaborative, but you've got to have one point person on those. Like Gully will do the, do the PP, uh, Jim will do the head up the PK, but all the coaches involved will have you sit down and go through it together. Just one person is more the point person of it. All right, so Jim Playfair, the point person for the penalty kill. Well, that's going to be a tough job because the Oilers' penalty kill has stunk the last two years. It had a brief resurgent the last third of the 17-18 season, and that was when Todd McClellan took it over from Jim Johnson. I remember on, on home ice at one point it was down to 54% in the previous season. It still wasn't good this year, second last in the league, ahead of only the Chicago Blackhawks. So the penalty kill has been horrid. It has cost the Oilers games. And hey, a better penalty kill, I'm not saying they're in the playoffs, but you might have had a few more wins or at least been able to stay in the race a little bit longer. So uh, here's Playfair on looking after the PK. Yeah, I think.
think it is confidence. I think it's a you know you, you know I've heard a hundred times, but your penalty your goaltender is an important part of your penalty kill. I think there's some structure uh, that that that's important to get you know in place. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on six thirty Chad. All right, draft coverage tomorrow starts at 4 o'clock on 6.30. Ched with you until 7. Then we go to the Eskimos and the Lions. Get the entire first round on Global News, Ra- uh, Global News Radio 880 starting at 6 on Saturday on 6.30. Ched rounds 2 through 7. We'll hop on the air at 1 o'clock. Uh, I think we just lost the end of that clip there, so I will uh, just quickly fire that again. New Oilers associate coach Jim Playfair on being the point man on the penalty kill and hopefully improving that woeful unit. Yeah, I think it is confidence. I think it's a you know you, you know I've heard a hundred times, but your penalty your goaltender is an important part of your penalty kill. I think some structure uh, that that that's important to get you know in place and build confidence. And I think that when it starts off in a in you know not well um, you have to try to reestablish the confidence in the players the details the consistency and and uh, I, I think that you know going forward now when you get in the training camp and get to know what their, where the confidence level is in it you have to build on that and then try to identify some details that hopefully we can uh, kill with a little more pressure and be a little more aggressive and and uh, and improve it from there well they're gonna have a lot of work to do on the penalty kill uh, goaltending obviously Koskinen to me remains a huge question mark especially if he's going to be a starter will the Oilers get someone like Peter Morazic history there with Holland uh, we'll see I mean he had a pretty uh, I guess decent year with with Carolina I don't know I mean I don't think the Oilers are going to have the luxury of going into the season here with uh, an established you know what you're going to get starter because with Koskinen I don't know what I'm going to get uh, you know what? I think if Koskinen were the guy who was going to play 30 games, I'd feel a lot better about him. Because here's the thing about Koskinen last year. If you go back and and uh, and look at his track record and track his games played, generally, and you can always find exceptions, but generally he did better when he had some days off or practice days in between starts. When he was really carrying the load, it, it really started to fall apart on him. I think he, you know, I think he has the capability to be a pretty decent NHL backup. Maybe even a higher-end backup. But he was 41st in the NHL in save percentage. And he was the Oilers' number one by the end of the year. That's not going to be good enough, and that's one thing that hurt the PK. But other things hurt the PK, too. The Oilers didn't win enough face-offs. They were inefficient at, at, uh, at clearing the puck. They, uh, they didn't take away passing and shooting lanes effectively enough. So those are all other things uh, to work on. So many, many problems with the PK last year. We'll see the impact the Playfair can have. Just to wrap up Playfair's story, and by the way, you can always get more on 630shed.com. How about this? Playfair was drafted by the Oilers way back in 1982. Yeah, it is kind of neat, actually. You know, you think back to 82, it seems like, well, it was forever ago. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they were in the business of winning Stanley Cups, and they had a good teams, and, you know, I wasn't able to crack the lineup and I wasn't good enough to play at this level and and I moved on to Chicago after that and the way I went with my with my career and and uh, so to be able to coach uh, and, and come back it's it's awesome it's it's you know it's a special thing to be able to to, to coach in NHL and it's obviously special to coaching Canada and it's it's a, it's a you know it's awesome to be able to go back to Edmonton where it all started and and hopefully uh, get back to winning. 
Well, that's what they want to do. Play fair, uh, not quite good enough to make those Oiler powerhouse teams in the 1980s. Did play two games with the team before moving on to other organizations. You can text 63630. Kellen's keeping an eye on the text line. What's going on there, buddy? Well, we got a uh, couple of comments regarding your knife smuggling incident from earlier. Inadvertent <laughs> knife smuggling. I want that on my record. Inadvertent. Uh, the Angreeable Beaver says, I got busted trying to bring back bear spray from Yellowknife. I had already brought it up through EIA the week prior. My bad. And then the uh, next text uh, from a different individual, just free words. Read, that's gross. Well, <laughs> well I guess a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I... I well, maybe they were more concerned because you know how you have to fill out the thing that you're not transporting any like sort of bacteria or live samples. Right. Maybe that's what they could sort of because you know the knives, you know, like I said, were a little food stained. Like a little food. There, there wasn't actually fungal growth. I was exaggerating about that. Though, well, maybe if you did a swabbing, <laughs> I should. I should have said, can you swab my knives for me before you confiscate them? <laughs> I'm like curious to see what's on there. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I'd like, I'd like to take that to the lab, please. All right. Well, I appreciate the text to 630-630, and I apologize that I grossed out at least uh, one listener. All right. Uh, Ken Holland also spoke today, new GM and president of hockey operations for the Edmonton Oilers, and I said, what about moving the pick? Would you would you trade up? Would you trade down? What's going on? Yeah, I mean, you can go by history. I mean, history suggests when I was in Detroit that uh, and we've traded back, but I, uh, I've only, you know, I've had two picks in the top ten in Detroit. You know, pick nine and pick six. We used them both. Um, if somebody comes and, uh, again, i got to answer the phone. If somebody comes with a real, an offer that I makes that makes sense to the Edmonton Oilers to go back a little bit. I don't see us going back way a long ways. Um, I'd certainly listen. Um, I expect that we're going to pick pick eight, but again, if uh, something comes up, I would listen. All right. So Holland, as he's talking about with Pulleyarvi, he would listen. He GMs have to listen to offers. But as he said, we would move back a little bit. So how far are you going to move back? I would think, man. I would think 14 at the absolute most, because I think once you get past that, there, there's probably a bit more of a noticeable drop-off in terms of the talent and, and the production you'd get from some of the forwards available. Uh, but he, he's not referring to moving up at all. And as I said to Elvis when he, when he called in, I, I just think because the, the cost would be too high. Uh, I mean, unless you, you really think you can get Byram for, for Bowen Byram, the defenseman of the Vancouver Giants, for, for something decent, then, then I don't know if it's moving up. And look, I, I get trade suggestions all the time. Rob Brown and I get them after games. If you've listened to this show over the last six years, you know I'm not a huge fan of trade suggestions and trade rumors. That's just me because most of them don't come to fruition. And usually if the, a fan of a team, you guys as Oilers fans generally suggest a trade, it's often at least a little bit lopsided in, in favor of the team that, that you support, sometimes a lot. So I guess if you're saying to me, could the Oilers move up, I immediately look at that from the other side and say, okay, uh, I have, uh, say, the third or fourth overall pick in this draft. And the Edmonton Oilers call me about moving up. What am I going to ask for? Well, I'm going to start with Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Like, that's, that's, I think that's where you'd have to start. I mean, it, as another GM, if Ken Holland called me and said, hey, I, I want to move up three to three, four, five, uh, and, you know, and I'm probably assuming the Oilers are doing that to grab Bowen Byram, then I'm probably going to say, 
okay, well, you know, you also need to clear some, to clear some cap space, Ken. I'd love the Nuge for the next final two years of his contract. What do you think of that? So, you know, I think remember that when you talk about the Oilers moving up. Could they bounce down a few spots? Yeah, maybe, but Holland seems to think that they're going to wind up picking uh, picking eight. Uh, Holland again today asked about the Yessi Pugliarvi trade demand. If I can get a deal that, that I think makes sense to the Edmonton Oilers, um, we'll we'll do something. If we can't, then I'll uh, I'll talk to Marcus Lato, his agent, next week. You know, I really, you know, the reality is the trading period is this weekend. You know, next weekend everybody's focused on the development camps and the July first free agency and the interview period. So uh, you know, I'm talking to a lot of people, um, and if there's a deal to be made, we'll pull it. And if not, um, then we'll t- I'll, I'll I'll double back and talk to Marcus next week. All right, so this is going to go on perhaps for a while here with uh, Yessi Pugliarvi. We'll see how it goes on into the summer. We'll have a little bit more from Holland as we move along tonight. We're going to bring in Morley Scott after the 7 o'clock news as he gets you ready for the Eskimos and the Lions, and we will have Morley's conversation with Mike Riley. I think that they continued with a bit of an interview tradition that they had while Riley was the quarterback for the Eskimos. I'm sure Morley will uh, explain that as he goes along. You can text 63630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Right now, caller number three. We will take you out to the ball game on Canada Day, the big Canada Day party thrown by the Edmonton Prospects. They got the fireworks. They got the uh, concert after the game. Caller number three, 780-496-0063. They will be playing Moose Jaw on July 1st. Back after the news. Reed Wilkins live in Vancouver. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.